ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome to the stage the glorious Nicole Kidman. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to BAFTA <clears throat> and, uh, and to your life in pictures. So, Nicole, let, let us do the inevitable conventional thing and start at the beginning, which is you were born in Honolulu, but you were brought up in, in Sydney. And I imagine this was a house where there were books and cinema and theatre and all those things were a regular part of growing up. Is that right? Not so much cinema. I mean, books, science, politics, um, emotions, and um, a very tight, close-knit family. Um, probably, you know, parents that had a huge love of the arts, so I would go to the theatre, I would go to the opera, I would go to the ballet, modern dance. Um, in Australia, we have a place called the Opera House, which is... <laughs> um, what it says, the opera house. So I would go, my, I remember I'd go with my father and I'd see things like, but I would see modern dance and there'd be sort of naked people <laughs> dancing on stage and I was maybe 11 or 12 watching that. I remember sitting next to my dad thinking, oh my gosh, I hope he's not noticing what I'm noticing. <laughs> um, but it was a very um, liberal household but with a strong moral code would be how I would describe and it. And you were quite a precocious reader, I think, because I, I remember around the yeah. time of Portrait of a Lady, you saying that you first read it when you were in your kind of early teens, which is... For yeah. Henry James, that's, <clears throat> that's quite a challenge, isn't it? So I read War and Peace when I was 13. <laughs> so, and the reason I did, I, I had one of those long reading lists from school, um, which had, you know, the 100 great books, and um, I was determined to be able to tick it all off. I don't think I have. Um, to this day, but I did start voraciously reading when I was little, and partly because I was so fair, um, I wasn't allowed to go to the beach um, during the midday sun, so there was sort of, I could go in the afternoons more. Um, my mother would keep me out of the sun because she was um, also fair and she'd had a lot of skin cancers, and so she was determined to protect my skin as a little girl. So from that came, and it's interesting how the things, and I hated being fair-skinned. I so badly wanted dark skin. Um, but because of that, I would stay indoors and I would read. And through reading became my love of characters um, and my ability to, um, well, my imagination grew, but my ability to sort of enter into the characters that I was reading was there from a very early age. But you decided, though, at some stage, that it would be performance rather than writing. Because your father wrote as well, I mean, apart from all the other things, they did mm. the scientific things. And My father was a biochemist who um, sort of um, at some point in my life went, oh, now I'm going to become a psychologist as well. Um, and we were then um, raised with sort of a mix of psychology and science. And, um, and then my mother was a nurse who became a nurse educator and then she would edit his books. But um, they were both academics, and um, unfortunately, I never got my degree, um, which is, you know, for them, it was always like, you want to be an actress, what? Um, but my sister has subsequently, and I'm so proud of this, she's um, 48 years old now, and she just got her law degree. So out of their two children, one of them got a degree. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure they're not. <laughs> I'm sure they have many other reasons to be extremely proud. So, at what stage were you? Were you absolutely set on performing? 
I just, um, there was nothing in my family that suggested to be an actress, which is why I've always said it's in my blood. I don't know where it came from, how it appeared, um, but it's like a pull and a calling. And as much as I try to move away from it, and there's been times when I have, and I've, um, particularly after um, I gave birth to Sunday Rose, I was like, I'm done, I'm gonna live on this farm in Nashville. and and I'm, I'm done, and it's, it's like this slow thing that pulls me back. Um, and I love it. I've, I've, I've now reached the point where I just say, this is what I do. I'm incredibly um, grateful for the life and the journey it's given me so far. I can't believe I'm still here doing it like this. And, um, and it gives me enormous um, joy, but it also, puts me in a place of being able to communicate and be in the world and participate in the world and have a greater understanding of people in the world. And um, I learn so much from it. So, so and I'm a giver. I love to give um, to the detriment of my health sometimes. <laughs> and <laughs> But um, I am. I'm one of... I love giving. So I give to a director. I give to... Um, the art in a way that I just think that's what I is in me. It's when I started going to drama school, there was always that pursuit of excellence and you just give. You give everything you have to the performance, to the role, to the, to the piece of art that you're working on. So the, the moment when <clears throat> uh, I think many people in this country became aware of you probably was with Dead Calm. Uh, with no, there. Vietnam. I did oh, a mini-series oh, a yes, long right. time ago and I remember coming to London and a couple of people on the street go, oh, I saw you yeah. in a thing called Vietnam. <laughs> so I see that as the first thing. Yeah. But yes, Dead Calm so, was my first sort of big film that kind of took me on a much bigger scale than um, working in Australia. And then and from there you went to Hollywood and obviously you did that whole series of films of Days of Thunder and uh, Billy Bathgate and Far and Away, all this, that whole kind of Kids. run of films. Um, did you, was there a, a sort of plan or then were you thinking, this is how it's going to be? You know, this is There's this no trajectory. There's no plan. <laughs> There's still no Never? plan. Never? Um, <laughs> no, there is, I mean, I follow um, my heart and I follow, sometimes I'll, I'm very whimsical, I'll choose to do things on a whim. Um, I, I, I like not feeling trapped. I like to feel that I'm free, um, free to go wherever I want to go. Um, and so, no, I've never really lived by a plan. I mean, I fell in love very young and I got married very early. Um, I was 23 years old, so that was like, oh, well, now this is what I'm going to do. Um, and then I worked, and then I remember when I was given the script um, that Buck Henry wrote for To Die For, and I went, oh, this feels like being back in Australia again. This feels like the roles that I was playing when I was, um, you know, in my teenage years working in the Australian film industry. So what was it about Suzanne Stone, who is the uh, would-be um, TV anchor, but I mean, she starts off, in the, in the scene we're going to see, she, she right. hasn't even got there yet. Yeah. Um, but what was it about her? Well, strangely enough, it was Gus Van Sant. It was, I, I'm very director-driven, um, and I saw Drugstore Cowboy when I was in, um, in Sydney, in Darlinghurst, and I remember thinking, what an amazing film. And um, I thought the balance of sort of, uh, 
just his style and how funny it was and how dark it was. And I was just very drawn to Gus. Um, so when I heard that Gus was doing To Die For, that was what was appealing to me initially. And it was a great script. I mean, Buck Henry, for anyone in this room that knows the great screenwriters, Buck Henry is one of the great screenwriters. Um, and I just went, this would be an honour to say these words. And I didn't change a word in that script. Like, because um, a lot of times you're allowed to, um, sometimes directors encourage you to improvise on that particular script, which was strange for Gus. It was absolutely every, every word that was written is in that film. So Gus Van Sant, but Gus Van Sant has said that, that you kind of, you know. He tries to, yeah. <laughs> well, he says, he says that you weren't immediately in his mind for that, but that you kind of. I no, called I him up and yeah. I said, I would so, because I'd done um, Days of Thunder and Billy Bathgate with Bob Benton, who did Kramer versus Kramer, and, um, but they were smaller roles and this was a great role and <laughs> they'd cast Meg Ryan in it. Um, she turned it down. I mean, they'd offered it to her and she didn't want to do it. And so um, Tom actually said, you should call him. And so I called him and said, please, please, can I have the chance to audition for you? And so, um, and then I got, got cast in that role. And even then it was, um, then we both had to, the studio didn't want to cast Joaquin Phoenix. Um, so, because Joaquin hadn't done anything at that point. Um, he was River's younger brother. And um, they, the studio was like, mm, I don't think so. And they had um, a bunch of other actors that they, were, that they preferred. But both Gus and I, said we'd quit the film if they didn't cast Joaquin. I mean, I don't think I, it didn't matter to them whether I quit it, but it certainly mattered to them whether Gus was going to quit. So Joaquin got cast, and Casey Affleck, strangely enough. So, so those two, yeah. Grand it was for all yeah. that. Well, let, let's, see the, let's see this first clip oh, um, now from To Die For, and here is Suzanne going to the local cable channel to, uh, to make her mark. <laughs> Just wonderful. BAFTA nominated for that and got a Golden Globe as well. She's, Suzanne, is, it's, it's that amazing life force that, of course, has a deadly payoff, but, but still wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And that comedy. Kind of foreboding, that film. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how your life is nothing unless you're on TV. No. That Indeed. was her big catchphrase. Yeah. And now reality television, right? Mm. So. so one of the producers of the film said, I think, that um, about you that, that you were a character actress in the sort of the form of an ingenue, and that was what came out so beautifully in this. And that, I mean, that's, it, it's funny because the, the phrase character actress has sometimes been seen as almost like a sort of secondary thing. But... It's really important. I mean, you can be a star and a character actress as well, can't you? They're not. I think what's important as an actress is being not attached to your physical form. I mean, we're here to create characters, um, to become other people. And that requires not just emotionally um, and physically, but almost spiritually. I mean, there has to be this movement towards just complete um, metamorphosis of who you are. So if you're too attached to your own identity, I think that's when um, you get stuck. Or that's certainly been my path is always to explore a, a huge array of people. Um, 
and I've been lucky in the sense that I've not been sort of pigeonholed into one thing. And I think that's what happens to, to actresses, they, is they do get pigeonholed. And it's not fair because there's incredibly talented women there, but a lot of times they get stuck into one, one thing, not through their own fault, but because that's how an industry or um, the people who are casting the films see them. And so I've always tried to blur those edges and push those boundaries. And, I'll con and I'm continuing to try to do it, you know, and it's not always easy. And sometimes you fail, I mean, and I'm willing to fail. I've failed many times. <laughs> and, um, and that's part of the journey, you know, and I think once, and I'm determined as I've gotten older not to get that, to be, so f to be fearful of trying things because it's still that kind of youthful abandonment, which is what I try to have when you go, I'll give it a go, I'll give it a go. Um, but uh, I've been lucky that I've had writers and directors and producers that have taken massive risks on me. Um, and so, you know, I'm, that, that, that's a fantastic thing as an actor, is that people believe in you and, and give you a chance. <clears throat> so you have, I'm going towards the end of the night, I mean, presumably to die for brought you a kind of wider range of roles, sort of, all the offers kind of that. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, <laughs> it sort of did. It's a really hard. It's hard as a woman in this industry, and it's hard um, to keep forging ahead to not then get typecast in that kind of role, yeah. you know? So it's constantly um, sort of stretching and, and putting your hand up and being willing to um, try things and change. and. But it's, um, as my mother says to me, she goes, it's never been easy. Like I've never really, it's never been given to me on a platter. Um, and as much as it may have looked that way, it's actually never been like that. I've always had to sort of go, I could try that or I could do it. And I've always um, studied and tried to, and I've sort of had that, I've had times where I've been like, gosh, this is now, um, personally too damaging or it feels too much. Um, but as I say, it's, I have that calling and so then I can't walk away from it. Because um, at the end of the, of the 90s, obviously, there was so much Sorry, I'm digressing. No, 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 you get it, you get it back we'll on track. Get that. We'll get that. <laughs> okay, no, but the digressing, is, that's all part of it. It's, it's really... Um, so towards the end of the 90s, mm. you worked with Kubrick on his last film. I was waiting to answer. Which was going to be his last film. No, so. obviously. <laughs> but, um, mm. the, but the kind of attention that was placed on you and also, you know, the sort of spotlight about you being so famous and part of a famous couple, mm. I mean, that must have been extraordinary and actually quite almost inhibiting in some ways in terms of kind of career choices. So what a contrast then to work with Baz Luhrmann, you know, within a couple of years after that, you then go to yeah, Moulin right. Rouge which seems to me was probably the polar opposite of ways of working. But that's what I'm saying, is that yeah. wonderful thing of being able to do something here and then go right over here and do something the complete opposite to it. I mean, for, for, for me on working with Stanley, I just treated it as, um, you know, the, the great thing Stanley always said was don't put me on a pedestal. Just throw ideas out and let's just... Um, you know, pretend that we're just, um, we're all in this together and there's nobody here with great ideas because he was, and you were never allowed to shut an idea down. You always had to wait before you went, that's a terrible idea. You had to take a minute. So to think it through. 
Because it's interesting if your initial response, because a lot of times um, people respond initially with, no, no, no. But it's great to let something sit and develop and then go, maybe, maybe. And that's what Stanley was brilliant at, was sort of leading you laterally um, into different places because it was always like, well, maybe, maybe this, maybe that. Um, but I just treated that as being a kid, in, a, you know, an actor in, in acting school, really, and just going, oh, I'm here with the greatest teacher um, and I don't care if this film goes on for five years, I just love being around him. Um, and then out of that, I went and did The Blue Room, which was a play um, in London because I met um, Sam Mendes and I met David Hare and I met um, a lot of um, the people that were, and then I met Patrick Marber and I would go and see theatre all the time because I had a lot of time off on Eyes Wide Shut. And, um, and that led to The Blue Room, which Baz came and saw me in and said, sent me a box of two dozen red roses and said, I think I have a role for you. Her name's Satine. I'd like to meet you after the show. Very Baz. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew Baz Luhrmann, presumably. From I'd met Baz. Have... I'd done a, I mean, I knew of Baz and I'd done a photo shoot with him for Vogue where they took over the magazine and um, they'd sort of um, put me in some wigs and clothes and dress mm -hmm. me up here and see him. But I didn't really know him. I knew of his work because of Strictly Ballroom. Um, but I was like, oh, and then I heard it was a musical. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I can't sing. Um, but you can sing. No, I willed myself to sing. <laughs> I mean, I really, I can sing where I can, you know, sing in the shower, but I'd never sung publicly. I was not confident. I still am not confident um, with my voice. And, but when I really go, okay, I can do this, I can do this, and having him believe in me and believe that I could do it, that's how I was able to sing. And, um, and I kind of discovered my voice on that film. So what was it, because there was quite a long rehearsal period, I think, and what was it like months in this great <laughs> venue? Because he took over this, this huge place. Amazing. I mean, yeah. the way he makes films is just, it's gorgeous. You live in a big, we, we were in this big old Victorian house in Darlinghurst, which is a suburb of um, Sydney. Um, and it was very bohemian and um, we would have parties and we would dress up and then we would rehearse and then we would have more parties and do some more rehearsing. And it was all very, um, you know, that sort of, artists living this bohemian life and then happened to be making this film, which at the time was considered very, very um, risk. I mean, it was a risk to do that film. Well, it was. I mean, people talk about it now as the reinvention of the musical, but that, the idea... But there had not, not been one. Chicago hadn't been done. There'd been mm -hmm. no film. And to be using known um, songs mm -hmm. um, and then reinterpreting them, all of that was new at that time. And, you know, I was also learning, you know, having to dance and um, hang from trapezes. And <laughs> I mean, it was fantastic. And it's one of the great memories of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget my father, who's um, not here anymore. But um, he, I remember seeing him. I was, hang I was up on a trapeze. We were shooting in a studio in Sydney. And I looked over and I saw my dad in the corner. I'd said, I'd called him up and said, come by. We're shooting a big sequence tonight. You might want to watch it. And I saw him across there and 
I just remember his jaw going. And I had like, I was on the trapeze and there were about 150 men all with top hats and tails below me. Fantastic, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I think that seems a good moment in which to see a clip from the language. <laughs> It's the moment where you're suddenly climbing up on the top of and it's an elephant and it's just everything's so huge and breathtaking. And, uh... Yeah, and then he, but then what he does is he has this massive scope to his frames and to his production design and then he brings the emotions back to very simple, um, pure emotions, which is Baz's exquisite genius. Mm. Were you surprised by the reaction to it? I mean, how just. Off, no, I thought it was fantastic. I was like, why, <laughs> why doesn't everybody love the film? Um, <clears throat> so, which is sometimes, I mean, I have, um, I've realised I have kind of odd taste. Um, but yeah, with that film, I actually thought, um, oh, this is, my, I could see what it was. There's sometimes when I've seen films and I've gone, <gasps> and, you know, almost been nauseous with disappointment. But um but with this one, I was really excited. Then I remember we went to the Cannes Film Festival and I remember it got sort of a mixed response initially. And um, then I was like, what? <laughs> um, but if this is where family members become um, so important. My sister was with me at the time and she said, listen to nobody. The film is fantastic. I love the film. I don't know what you guys are all worried about. And... Um, that was it. And then the film sort of took off, found its audience, made its own path, and, um, and then got nominated for a lot yeah. of Academy Awards and had an extraordinary, extraordinary life. Yeah. So, yeah. And continues to be. You know, yeah, it's it's like, well, it's just good to always know that sometimes things come out and they don't get the response initially um, that, that they then get later on. I, the problem is right now, um, things are um, so often they disappear before they're allowed to find their audiences or before they're allowed to be discovered, which I find um, very, very sad because so many times, I mean, you hear the stories about Bonnie and Clyde and those mm. films initially didn't connect and then suddenly they found their way, they, found, they made the money, they found their audiences, but it took time. Um, the one thing that frustrates me right now is it's just so quick. You know, but it's all about the opening weekend, huh? um, which is yeah. disappointing, you know, because art is, you know, sometimes it needs to be digested or processed before it um, is really understood or loved. Anyway, we're all in it together. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in terms of so something that is so extraordinary and of itself, like mm. Moulin Rouge. So at that point, you know, you're looking at different scripts. You then think, okay, now something different, or is it just that it depends on what comes? No, along that was the strangest thing. I was um, shooting Moulin Rouge. I was um, then I was cast in the others, mm. and I went off and I did the others um, straight after it, and so I had oh, just that wonderful once again this and this. Um, a lot of times roles for me have come sort of where they've been um, piggybacked, like they come very close together and they're very, very different. I don't know why that happens and then there's nothing. Um, so yeah, I went to Spain and I made the others. 
Yeah. Almost um, immediately after that, I think I had about six weeks off. Yeah. Goodness. So yeah. it's completely, again, yeah. completely different to, yeah. um, to have that kind of choice. Now, you mentioned David Hare, the dramatist, um, earlier on. You obviously don't have a clip of the others. We don't have a clip of the others. We all remember it. <laughs> Otherwise, we all remember it very well. And indeed, it was about to nominate it. I'll do it for uh, you. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can't give anything away, of course. <laughs> no, we don't. But we do have a clip of the hours. Oh. And... Um, which, of course, for which you won a BAFTA and indeed an Oscar. I did. And uh, playing Virginia Woolf. Yes. So this is... Uh, David Hare adapted the screenplay. Stephen Daldry directed, but David Hare adapted the, he the screenplay. He gave me those words. <laughs> he gave me the most beautiful words. I'm eternally yeah. grateful. Yes. When was... Stephen Daldry said to me, I said to him, well, I can't play Virginia Woolf. You're not going to give me for Virginia Woolf. So they came to you this time? Yes. Yeah. And I said, no, you're crazy. Um, I can play Julianne Moore's character in the film. And he's like, no, you're playing Virginia Woolf, which is very Stephen. <laughs> and, um, and I desperately wanted to work with him. So I, um, I acquiesced. And... Um, and then I went into the um, makeup room and we were sort of playing around there and they said, would you be open to changing your face? And I'm like, whatever you want to do to me. Um, and that's how that started to, um, I suppose, blossom, Virginia. But it was interesting because I then got very, very scared and tried to pull out of it. Um, because I was going through things in my own life and I just felt I'm completely overwhelmed and is there any way you can cast somebody else? To which they said, no, get on the plane, get here. <laughs> um, and then I just got so immersed in her. I started to, she just came into me. I don't, I don't know any other way to explain it. But when you're dealing mm. with somebody who is a sort of literary mm. legend, as it were, about whom there are certain kind of preconceptions, do you then go and do your own research about where you're yeah. going to find her? Yeah. And, um, and it's sort of like layers where you do the research and you do work on the voice. I actually have my dialect coach here who coached me on that, Sandra Fries. She's here tonight. <laughs> there she is. Um, and so she has some great stories. <laughs> um, but I remember we slowly worked on her vocally. Virginia herself sounded very, very different. We had a little bit of um, um, some of her speaking, right, Sandra? But um, we then sort of tried to... Um, Stephen was like, no, I, I, that's too extreme. We want the sound to be a little bit more, um, I suppose, accessible to a modern-day audience. And so we, and that's how you slowly compile. But you do the research, you do the emotional work, and then you kind of um, abandon yourself to the muse. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the hands of a great director, that helps. And also, as I said, being given the words. Um, and those words that David gave me were just sublime. So. Well, let's hear some of David Hare's words yeah. in this context in yeah. the clip, please. Stephen Delane there, obviously, as, as Leonard Wolfe. Um, mm. yeah. And that is always the two the actors in a scene together. Yes. And it's always about the two of you. So, um, I mean, I have so much 
um, I have to give thanks to him because you see how when it's two actors together, that's the energy that gets created. It's not just one. It's never just one. Um, but also I find that I think something in me deeply relates to the idea of we do have the right to choose our own destiny. We have the right to choose what we want to do with our bodies and with our, and to choose our own prescription. And I think that just vibrated incredibly deeply with me. So there we no, go. No, it's an amazing performance. Um, I was talking to David Hare about something the other day, and he was saying that line, the Richmond line mm, there, yes. is that he's had, he's had PhD students come to say, oh, no, where exactly is that in Wolf's work? And he said, well, actually, I made it up. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's great. It did. It's, it's what I say. It's yeah. incredible writing. Yes. And when you're the recipient of great writing, it makes you look all the more better. So. But I'm, I'm really interested in sort of pursuing this whole idea of how you say, oh, well, I'm going to sort of mix it up, I'm going to try something different, something risky next time, because it must be, it must get more difficult when you win BAFTAs and Oscars and things like that. Isn't, isn't there a sense that you've got more to lose? I mean, if you, no, I don't think so. I think in, um, it's, you know, there's an expectation, but so then you don't live up to that expectation for a year or two and then you um, rise up again or you discover something else or you go and, um, you know, in my case, I went and met somebody and I fell in love and I actually had a whole different path in terms of what I wanted to do. I, I um, was very lonely and I didn't want to be lonely. So I went, okay, I'm now going to try and meet my partner and, and put, and that takes time, you know, and it can't be working all the time and flitting off around the world. So I actually sort of went far more inward then. And, and out of it, I managed to, you know, have a, meet a wonderful man. And um, I now have two children um, out of that marriage, which has given me incredible nourishment and unbelievable blessings to have them. So, um, I think the, the thing it did was it highlighted to me the idea that I was um, quite, you know, that I needed to go and have more of a real life because I had an incredible artistic life. I just didn't have the balance there. That's more what happened. But when there's but in terms of the work, yeah. I think I just always am like, ah, I'm going to just try. I, I just have that working actor approach, which is we try things. Um, I would never have gotten back on stage recently um, for Photograph 51 if I hadn't had that slight just, oh, well, I'm going to try it. Because um, if I got caught up in, in the idea of what was needed or required or even financially the, what the investments that people are putting into you, I'd be absolutely shackled. Um, I wouldn't be able to move forward. And so much of it is just constantly moving forward and trying to... Um, be hopeful about what the future brings. <laughs> You're all looking at me intensely. <laughs> but I mean, part of that is also sort of taking control to an extent in that you start to produce. I now feel produce. like I'm in the therapy chair in front of so many people and the camera. This is, uh-oh. Well, that's, that, that's kind of appropriate for what you're going to be, what we may see you doing in a few months' time as well. But the, um, but 
but you started to produce. So, for example, a film like My Rabbit yeah. Hole, which you made with Erin Eckhart, yeah. um, yeah. that was... So that was a question of you, of you sort of taking a little bit of control and saying... That was... Um, I had had my daughter, um, who's now 10, and, um, and I was um, living in Nashville on a farm, and um, I'd had um, the whole pregnancy, growing vegetables and thing, and I was saying to my mother, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> and my mum's like, mm, I think mm, you're going to want to keep your toe in the water. It was fantastic advice because she said, as a woman, um, yes, you're in this place now, but I would keep your toe kind of in the water with your career because I think you're going to want it. Um, and you're going to want to be able to go back to it. And I'm so glad that I have a very um, opinionated, strong mother um, who's very wise, and, um, and I do listen to her. I bristle, but I listen. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so that's when Rabbit Hole, I read a review in the New York Times of this film, and, and I thought, oh, what a, it, it was a devastating review. And, it, um, and then I went and saw the play, and it was fantastic. And I reached out to David Lindsay Bear um, and asked if we could option it. And we made the film for $3.2 million. And, um, and it was my first foray into producing, and it was very low budget. But it was, um, it was successful in its own little, um, little way. Mm. And that kind of gave me the bug. But it was part of me wanting to also take control of my destiny because a lot of times as an actor, you are at the uh, mercy of what you're offered or what you audition for and, um, and you don't get the chances sometimes. So I went, gosh, it would be great if I could develop a few roles or a few things that, um, that I would be able to play or that I'd be able to develop for my friends or in some way, you know, um, broaden the horizons a little bit. And were there specific things mm. that you felt, kinds of roles that you felt were lacking then? I was just, um, yeah, they were, I wasn't being um, sent anything that was terribly interesting. I was being sent, um, I was also kind of, you know, there's a, there's a time, I think, in this industry when they go, oh, well, you're kind of, you're past your due date kind of thing. And we've seen what you have to offer and that's it. And we're moving on to the next um, next thing, you know, and that's just the case for actors and actresses and probably all sorts of people in, in all sorts of fields. And at some point you go, gosh, I, I kind of don't want to give in to what the normal trajectory is. Mm -hmm. so, um, and having people like Meryl Streep and Susan Sarandon and Glenn Close and all these women that were paving the way gives you... Um, the chance, and then obviously in this country you've got you know Maggie Smith and Judy Dench and the, the greats, um, but they're at least giving paving the way for you, so you can kind of cut through the grass yourself as well. Mm. Um, well, the next clip we're going to have is actually from the film Lion, um, which was right, which, which came a long time, a little bit of yes, later. <laughs> later we do a big jump it. now. We do, we do. <coughs> through the wonders of, <laughs> of this process. Um, no, but it's interesting to say because that is the, the path of, you know, a career. There's some careers that are just extraordinary from beginning to end, and there's some careers that ebb and flow, you know, but the, um, and it's a great thing to constantly talk about is that idea of being, of persevering and staying true to um, the idea of why you do it and the love of doing it, you know, because this is the nature 
of most people's careers and lives, right? There's a couple of very blessed that get to just sort of <laughs> exist up here. But, but um, my career <laughs> at that point, you know, there was a long, there was a sort of a place where I just was, you know, not, not getting the things or made the choices that didn't turn out to be um, what I'd hoped they'd be, so. And how do you, when things don't go so well, how do you cope with <clears> that? Um, you know, feel it, feel it and work through it. And luckily I have um, a very strong, um, tight family. And I have, I'm also the type of person that expresses myself, so I tend not to hold it in. So if you live with me, um, but because of that, emotionally, it comes out. I don't um, keep it all in. And I also try to, I've, you know, I was, grew up with a father who, and a mother who were pretty um, resilient themselves. They didn't have a lot of money. My father moved to the States where I was born and they had to um, survive. And my mum put, helped put him through, um, through school so that he got his degree. She didn't get hers. Um, and, um, but they were resilient together. So I grew up with seeing that. And I saw that union and that incredible um, ability to support each other and help each other. So Lion is a film about yes. little, <laughs> this little um, Indian to boy, Saru, yeah. who is adopted by, yes. um, by a couple. Now, this is a real story, it real is. people. Yeah. And you actually got to know the, the, the person, so it's yes. the character, you not character, Sue. she's a person. Yeah. Yes, beautiful Sue. Um, brave Sue. So how is it then to, to actually know the person you're going to play? Is that quite a tricky negotiation, I would imagine? Um, with her, it was like I met um, a soul sister. So it wasn't, it was very, um, the minute I met her, um, I was just, I was, I understood her, I knew her. We're both Australian, um, we both adopted children, we both, there was just something that I connected to. So it was very, very um, easy. Um, the, the role was um, small and condensed, so I was trying to put her life into a very, because it's not her story, into a very, very finite amount of screen time. That's what I found very hard, because she's fascinating in her own right and um, warrants her own film. But because it was, this was the story that was being told, I had to condense it all into um, a small amount. And luckily I was working with a director who um, was really trying to show all of her um, edges and, and facets in very quick grabs, um, Garth Davis, so. Um, Yes, so, it's, so when mm. you have that limited amount of, mm. of time, I mean, mm. what are the things, because you're going to have to make quite an impact, and how do you distill that? How do you distill a life into a few? Well, they were beautifully um, written, once again, as I emphasise always, the writing. Um, they were beautifully written, and, um, and I think because the strength of the story um, supported it, um, it, I was able to just sort of be there and you could you could feel her um, and you were able to understand her story very, very quickly. Obviously, I was working opposite Dev. Yes, who's Dev Patel. Fabulous. Yes. Um, and, um, and once again, Luke Davies wrote a beautiful screenplay and gave me 
um, a fantastic, what I call soliloquy monologue, um, which I think very much summed up her psyche. You get you get into her brain in one, um, in a couple of paragraphs. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, let's see the clip now from Lion. The um, Dev Patel, obviously, there is not Australian, but I mean, it does raise interesting question there about because you were playing obviously opposite um, David Wenham as, as your husband there. The strength of Australian actors I mean Australian mm. film talent generally. Mm. Um, I mean, this is this is a country of twenty-five million, or it's not it's not a huge country, mm. but very well represented internationally in terms of its its film talent. Why is that? Why is it so good? I mean, something in the water. <laughs> Not the crocodiles. <laughs> um, no, I think, you know, I, 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 I don't know how to answer that. I just know that the Australian film industry um, made me, you know. It gave me all of the... I started working when I was 14. Um, and I've been given so much from that industry. And I worked, I think... You know, there's very few jobs available. Um, there's, you know, not enough films made. I still always hope there'll be more. It was so great to use my Australian accent mm -hmm. in a film because it'd been so long since I had. Um, and I will continue, continually be giving back to that industry for the rest of my life. I went back and I did Top of the Lake, um, China Girl, which is Jane Campion's second series of the Top of the Lake. Um, series that she directs, and um, that was just a wonderful thing to be able to do. I'm always looking um, to be able to find Australian writers and directors. I just think, you know, a lot of it is, it's just, there's an enormous amount of care given to the, to the actors and um, the people there, and we're also very protective um, of each other, and we tend to sort of um, recommend each other for different roles and um, even globally we're always like, oh, well, there's this great, you know. I remember recommending Ben Mendelsohn. He'd done that and I was like, no, no, you've got to, you must read him. He's so good. So we always kind of look out for each other. Um, but I have no way to explain the talent other than um, maybe we're um, very sort of um, encouraged. Now, you mentioned mm. Top of the Lake, um, yeah. which was the, that second series was extraordinary. And, and when you were playing another um, mother there, but to the point of role. Yeah, yeah, it was nice to go back and do something to support Jane, who obviously yeah. gave me a huge chance when I was young. And I, she was one of the first people when I was um, really young. I was 14. And she came to the drama school that I was going to on the weekends. And she cast me in her student film um, called Girls' Own Story, which I subsequently pulled out of, um, I know, because I didn't want to put on a shower cap and kiss a girl. I've told people this before. I now wish I had put that shower cap on and kissed that girl, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but um, she's one of my truly great friends, and um, I have still have an incredible friendship with her so many years later. And you were very much part of the reason why In the Cup was her film in the cup was made wasn't it? well I felt no I, I actually read that book and then um, I ended up not doing but she sort of went off and ran mm. with that I didn't I sort of had a 
Um, but you recommended the book to her. I recommended it to her, yeah. Yeah, the beginning. but we did Portrait of a Lady together, and yeah. I think that's when we really sort of... But even prior to that, we'd had a friendship. I love this. The other thing I love is that when you form... I think what happens in this industry is you, you know, you make um, almost like a 10-year jump of when you work with someone because you work so intimately. It's like 10 years of, of a relationship together in three or four or five months. You are suddenly like, and well, that's how I work, where it's very, very, so I'm very reluctant to let the people that I work with kind of leave my life. So I have long friendships with um, most of the people, particularly the directors that I work with. Mm-hmm. And Top of the Lake, so this was obviously long form television about which there's a great deal of talk and yeah. the relative <clears throat> merits of that as opposed to feature films. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Big Little Lies as well. But I just wonder, as a general principle, the idea of developing a character mm. over a number of episodes, having all those hours, mm. as it were, to do it in, is that more satisfying? Different satisfying? I mean, different. Yeah. Different. Um, I, I think what's happening now is when, um, you know, if you have seven, eight, ten hours to develop um, a character over the course of a limited series, that's... Um, it's it's fantastic, but how do you make it compelling? Um, because it still has to be compelling storytelling. Um, and that's a different skill. It's a different skill set, not just for the actor, but for the writer and for the directors that do it. Because you have to somehow make this, instead of two hours or three hours or 90 minutes, you now have this long format. And it still has to um, warrant the time. It can't be sort of um, waffling on where people lose interest. It still has to be tight and um, and fascinating and hopefully wanting you to keep watching. You yeah, know? it's got to have that momentum, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, but in, say, Big Little Lies, having um, the ability to um, have Celeste un- see her unravel, really, and see layer upon layer get lifted off was a fantastic format for that for that sort of character um, and for that relationship, for it to be delved into in the way it was and for it to be shown in that, um, I suppose, in that way. That was um, bold of Jean-Marc and um, David E. Kelly and Leon Moriarty, but it was a wonderful thing as an actor and Alex, Alexander Skarsgård and I would both say that. We were just so lucky to have that time to be able to play that relationship out in that way. So it was directed by Jean-Marc <coughs> Valley, um, from a script by David E. Sorry, Kelly. I meant to no, say no. all the no, names, no, no, aren't no. I? <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, no, no, but you but say just, them. I'll, I'll say, yeah. I'll say, thank you. Mm. <laughs> um, which yeah, directed mm. by Jean-Marc Valley, mm. from a script by uh, David E. Kelly, mm. but from originally from a novel by Leanne Moriarty. Yeah. Um, and it's about if anybody hasn't seen it, it's about which I'm sure many have, but it's it's about as it starts off in in an almost quite sort of conventional way, which is a whole lot of women meeting around a school gate, and you mm. think, oh, it's going to be one of the... And it gets so complicated mm. uh, it, as they gradually foreground the lives of each of them. Mm. And I have to say, by the time I was watching the final episode of this series, um, I could almost not bear the tension. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so that does, absolutely does keep that. But your character, Celeste, who is who seems to have the perfect marriage, mm. handsome husband, and has been a lawyer, but now has these two beautiful little boys. Everybody sees her as the paragon, and it's that 
sort of gradual lifting off of the paragraph. We'll show a little clip and then maybe we can talk a little bit more about it afterwards. And mm. this is Celeste and her husband, Perry, who has just returned from one of his many business trips mm. and just discussing domestic arrangements. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it would, you could not really have done that story in the same way in a feature film, I don't think, for, because it is that gradual realise, mm. it's the way we as the audience gradually realise what's happening. And then of course there are sessions when they go to the therapist and mm. um, which play out at a length that it would be quite difficult probably to do. Um, so, I mean, do you, do you feel that the strength of television at the moment, and it's, it is so strong, and you're one of the producers of, it, mm. of Big Little Lies, um, do you feel that threatens theatrical cinema at all? Um. I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people watch television now, but um, there's something wonderful about going to the cinema and sitting with a big group of people and watching watching a film together. I still, I still do it. My husband and I, my kids and I, we go, we pay our money and we go to the theatre in Nashville and we watch a movie together. Um, I hope that survives because it would be such a pity for that to get lost. Um, but at the same time, for stories to be told um, and for the stories to reach audiences. I mean, Big Little Lies reached probably further than any other um, thing I've ever done. And the response that I've had from people, particularly women, um, is, is wider um, than anything I've done. But, you know, I don't think you have to choose. I think there's still, we can all, there's still a huge... Um, love people who love film and love to go and watch film. So I will, I will keep um, giving myself to filmmaking and to doing films. And I mean, Destroyer was one of the reasons I went from this to Destroyer, which was a you know low budget film with a um, lead female directed by a female, um, and we got the film made. And I'm, I'm actually here promoting it because I want people to go see it. We're going to come to destroy in just a moment. Okay, somewhere I else jumped. First. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but that's I'm good. willful. That's good. We can jump and we can jump back again. And, and, get, yeah. get the, um, and also, there is another series of Big Little Lies coming up as well. You've just yeah. you finished yeah. doing that. We have Andrea Arnold, who's directed it. And yeah. um, so. we... Uh, yeah, I think we just we were we were given the opportunity to explore their lives further. Um, Did you know women. when you were making the first series? No, and then it wins the Golden Globe and it's back to it's a, it's an TV enormous work. amount of work yeah, yeah. Um, doing something that that's that is that long. So um, and also where you do it, where it has um, you know we treated it as though it was really a seven-hour film. So that was the, I mean, Jean-Marc um, Vallée is, um, you know, he, he's, he brings a cinematic um, understanding and storytelling to the limited series format. So, mm -hmm. so it's an enormous amount of work. Um, as you say, huge reaction. I mean, that's sort of people writing to you or contacting you. I mean, about the character Celeste. Mainly in the street. You can meet people mm -hmm. or in restaurants someone will come up or... Uh, and then you get, um, yeah, it's just the, just the way in which you interact with people. But it's just interesting. And it's also um, the way in which television now um, reaches globally mm -hmm. so quickly. 
it's a different world, but it's it's also good to be changing and, and um, willing to change. I mean, I'm always open to change myself as a person and as a and as an actor and as a um, woman. So I'm constantly open to okay, what's the new frontier? <clears throat> so and. In the meantime, you know, films as well, obviously, there's the Destroyer, which we'll talk about in a second. There's also mm. Boy Erased, in mm. which you're, you're playing another real person. Um, yeah. And this is, uh, this, is the, this is a sort of slightly adapted version of yeah. the story of, of Gerard Connolly, who is called Jared in the, in the film, yeah. um, a boy who was put into this conversion therapy for mm -hmm. homosexuality mm. um, within his Baptist... Um, environment. Now, it's, it, it's a film that is very, it's pretty condemning of the methods um, of obviously the sort of brainwashing kind of weapon. It's an interesting film because Joel um, directed, yeah. <laughs> Joel um, directed, wrote, starred and produced it, um, a fellow Australian. Um, and uh, he just called me up and said, would you be interested in uh, in being in this film? And I've you know, I've been sort of thinking of you for this role. She's a real woman. Her name's Nancy in the screenplay, but she's, her name's Martha in real life, and give it a read. And I read it, and I didn't realise that conversion therapy still existed or had ever really existed. I suppose I'd never sort of um, been aware of it. And so I subsequently then read Garrett's book, and, um, and <coughs> I, just, I just went, I'm in. Let me tell the story. Let me be her, and it's a supporting role. So it was um, a finite <coughs> amount of work for me, and I was able to just, um, you know, I always say there's there's films that you do because they they those stories need to be put in the world. They're um, they're sort of there's a reason for them um, politically or um, emotionally to be out there, and then there's other films that are entertainment. There's other films that are just I have to, this story I connect to, and for whatever reason, I'm, it vibrates through me, and I will be, I will, I have to be in this, and through me comes the story. But for me, this was, I wanted to be a part of it because of, um, I, I just was shocked that they were in existence. So um, in the clip that we're going to see, uh, this is, <coughs> this is the mother. Well, it's interesting because she, um, is very loving. They have an incredible relationship, this um, um, Garrett and Martha, in real life now. They, they always did. She, she's, um, you know, a wonderful mother, but she did something that she thought was the most loving thing to do. She thought it was the right thing to do because she didn't know any other way of behaving and her husband. Um, and when um, their son came to them and said, you know, I... I think about men. I, 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 I don't know what to do. This is what, I, and they went. We know what to do, and mm -hmm. um, took him to this place that their church said you need to go, and and this will take care of it. Um, and she then decides it's completely wrong. She's he's been in there for a few weeks, and she gets him out. Um, but she's making apology now in the film, but in her life, I think, her idea of allowing the film to even be made is her way of making amends to him because she's exposed her family to scrutiny and judgment and, and, um, and herself, but it's her way of 
um, being the mother she wants to be to him and taking care of him and loving him and apologising to him, which I find incredibly um, moving. So now the clip won't move you at all. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but the clip is absolutely, is absolutely of that moment when yes. she's... Well, the, the turning point moment. If we could see it, please. I mean, you say that sometimes you have to make a film because you have to tell people. It is extremely shocking to realise how widespread this still is. I had thought it was something to do with the 1970s. I mean, I, I didn't mm. actually believe that this was happening now and mm. on such a scale mm. as it turns out that it is. So mm. in that sense, it's... A, do you think mm. films can change things? Do you think they can... Well, not, if not change Stories, them, do they can... definitely, yeah. 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 <laughs> so the other... The film that do you, you? you're here to... I think they can raise consciousness, yes. Mm. Um, but there are, yeah, I mean, there are sort of anecdotal examples of legislation changing mm. you know, immediately. I mean, both American and, mm -hmm. and here as well. I think shining light onto things or even putting it out into the conversation, um, raising people's awareness. Um, yeah, I think uh, all of those things go into whether they um, immediately change things or whether they slowly drip, drip, drip change things. I absolutely, I believe in the power of storytelling or art to change the world. Absolutely. So, Destroyer, which is the, in which you mm. also play yes. a mother, and in fact the scene we're going to see is... is, is I'm always a mother. <laughs> <laughs> well, these are important figures yeah. in our lives. So. I think probably my energy, um, you know, I have a, a deep sense of... Um, I suppose the idea of just taking care of people and I have this um, this desire to mother, whether it's a child or whether it's um, not my husband, thank God, <laughs> I don't mother him. Um, but um, in terms of, I do enjoy it. I get incredible, um, I'm, I'm deeply satiated by taking care of people. And so that's probably a strong... Um, the, that pull, that maternal pull, is very strong for me. That, however, could not mm. be said about the character in Destroyer, who is not. Well, I say that because no, she, is she a what we call a good mother? Are you no? Well, has she made bad choices? Yes. That's interesting to me because I'm not just about playing mothers who are sort of um, standing there um, in all their glory. Um, you know, looking like um, the Madonna. Then uh, it's not that. It's there's very complicated emotions in terms of mothering, and 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 I think um, the idea of playing a woman who's made um, terrible choices, but is still in some way trying to create now the path for her child to have a different life to her. That is very, um, I think that's very relatable to a lot of people. The character itself is, is um, primal and angry and shameful and complicated and all the things that um, can be repelling at times, but she's hopefully um, compelling and fascinating. And also, I feel for her. I did, so I'm hoping that that comes through. But she's somebody that doesn't say, I love you, has never been able to say, I love you. She was doing drugs when she found out she was pregnant. Those things carry a weight on, on 
the shoulders of that of that woman. And so the idea of playing that role, I'd never played a role like this before. Um, and, and, and I wanted to I wanted to do it. And you absolutely inhabit her physicality. I mean, the way she walks, she's got something wrong with one of her. She's got a limp, hasn't she? Something wrong with one of her legs. But there's the whole. Well, no. When you see the film, there's yeah. a reason she. Yeah, no, no, that absolutely. Way. Yes, yeah. no, no. I know. <laughs> I can't give it away. <laughs> I have seen it, uh, but the um, but it's it's just for mm. you to to do that. It, it it's completely the way that mm. you move in. It's completely unrecognisable. I would not have known. You know, from that, obviously, the close-up, you can see that, that it is, you can make out it's you. But did you have to work on that for a long time beforehand, the, the movement thing? No, I, I, the director sent me some footage of coyotes. And um, there's oh, yeah, okay. a lot of... Um, I watched these mother coyotes and the way they moved and that kind of... Um, it's very, very strange to sit with people and talk about acting process and <laughs> probably shouldn't do it because I also believe in the mystery of a performance and not stripping it down and telling you all about how... Let it just be because I still love the magic of what, it, what a performance is and what a film is, you know. Um, but no, that, that character just kind of started to come through in a weird way. It wasn't... There was nothing conscious or no definite choice made. My voice, everything just started to change. It was one of those um, weird things. It, it, was, it was uncomfortable for me as Nicole in that state for a long period of time. It wasn't pleasant. But, you know, there's, I do believe that you give things up artistically at times in your life to, um, you know, you commit. And sometimes that means you commit more at that particular time and then you'll go back and... Um, your family has, I'm lucky I have a family that understands what I do, you know. Even though I have young children, they have a, a, a kind of almost a um, fascination with it. They both have interests in storytelling now and their imaginations have been um, really strengthened by um, watching me, <laughs> even though their favourite film so far is Aquaman. <laughs> um, this Which one, Destroyer, they're like, eh. Um, but um, but they do give me they give me the 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 place to go create it, um, as does um, Keith. So I'm very lucky. But but this did take a lot more than I thought it was going to take, and it took me off into a kind of a limbo state that I existed in for a period of time. We're just going to see a little fragment, which is um, okay. the detective <laughs> and her daughter. Director Karen Kusama, yeah. um, female cinematographer, female editor, I think yeah. as well. Um, yes, as far as I can primarily make out. female crew. Yeah, yeah, and certainly, and, and a very tough story. Yeah, indeed, and a limited budget, and what I call scrappy filmmaking, where you're just down in the ditches, just getting it done. You don't have a lot of money. You're out on location. I mean, we were in South Central LA at one point shooting, and then they were like, "Get inside. There's a shooter." a live shooter, and I'm like, what? And I've got the gun, and I'm like out on the street, and they're like, drag me in, and I hit the floor, because there was a shooter, helicopters, and um, that's the kind of locations we shot the movie on. But <laughs> that's, you know, when you don't have the money to build the sets and to create the whole thing, you're out there, you're doing it. It's a different type, and it's a wonderful thing as an actor to go from, say, a Big Little Lies to that. And that, um, for me, is is 
the magnificence of being given the chance to play things and people taking risks as you go. No one would ever see Big Little Lies and then go, oh, I'm going to give you Aaron Bell, you know. Um, but Karen took a chance on me. So. And so the, um, I mean, as you look around, do you see that things are improving? I mean, if you look at the evidence on screen, you would say mm. that women do seem to be getting mm. wider range of roles, that there seem to be more women directing. I mean, it's happening slowly, slowly. Do you, what's your feeling? What's your gut feeling about it? I always just look at the statistics. Yeah. The statistics are not good. Yeah. So statistically, I don't, I don't know the exact number right now, but I think not looking good. it was no. about 11% for female directors, isn't it? Which, um, you know, I made a pledge um, a couple of years ago to work with a female director every 18 months because you got to act to change the statistics. You ha I have to do something. I can talk about it and we can all talk about it or I can actually just get out there and do it. So um, that's what I'm sort of at this stage of my life and my career trying to do um, is change the statistics. So. Time for some questions from the audience. Um, let's hand up straight away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great, there's a, there's a microphone coming down there. <laughs> one, two away from you. Anybody up further up there as well? Any more hands up there? Oh, wow. <laughs> Right. Okay. Thank you for a wonderful evening. Thank you. Um, Thank you for coming, by the way, on this cold <laughs> London night. <laughs> Going back to uh, Moulin Rouge, which yes. I absolutely adored, mm. and it's great to hear that process um, that you went through with Baz yeah. and everyone yeah. living together. That's really great. What um, was the process with Australia? Because yeah. that's like a really big film, and... Mm. and uh, could you talk about how that developed in comparison to Moulin Rouge? Um, it was similar. It was because there wasn't song and dance in that. There was um, more. We were um, working on the scenes, and but there's always that's his nature is that he gets everybody there for two three months prior, and you um, workshop. Um, you learn all the, the skills that are required for the film, you all spend a lot of time together. Um, and it creates almost that kind of um, troupe feeling, like a circus, where you're all in it together and you're... Um, and and that's, that was very similar. I recently watched Australia again and I was like, oh, wow. It was a massive undertaking, that movie, and, um, and strangely enough, so relevant for today. I, I went, it's actually even more relevant of now than it was when it was made. But I always say that Baz is ahead of his time. He just is. He's just got that brain. He's, he's, um, he's so well-educated and so finely tuned. I just feel that he actually, as a filmmaker, is ahead of his time. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, my only regret is there's so many other films I would love to hear your They left a lot on. out. <laughs> <laughs> Who chose these? Um, so I'm going to just quickly ask you about Dogville. Uh, yes. This infamously was a very arduous shoot, um, documented as well. Um, so what we saw right. you go through on set would maybe be tantamount to abuse or bullying, and right. but yet you committed to it, as you always do, and I'm wondering... Uh, now, being a mother, mm. could you see yourself going through an experience like that again, being able to 
work on the film the way you did and then maybe just talk a little bit about working mm. with Lars as well? Mm. Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't be able to go and do a film the way I did that we all lived in Sweden and we um, didn't, I mean, I was single at the time so I was just there living in the in a, um, one of the houses on the property and then we would go off to the studio and work and then come back and all eat dinner together. That's Lars's process. Um, so I probably wouldn't be able to do that because I do, um, I bring my children and I have my family with me and I set up a, a way in which we can function wherever we are. Um, uh, that that film I saw very much as, you know, I see a lot of the directors that I work with as philosophers um, where they have ideas that they're putting into the world. I mean, I saw Jonathan Glazier with Birth, um, Kubrick, Lars, um, Campion. I mean, I see them as philosophers, actually, modern-day philosophers. So I'm absolutely willing and I'm, I think, you know, it, I, I, don't, I didn't feel that that was abuse on Dogville because I was um, there and I was going, okay, well, what are we artistically trying to achieve? Uh, and the way I approach the work is always through, and I would be, I'm more than willing at times to put up my hand and go, this is too much now, I need to, you know, I have certain boundaries, but I also have a very strong commitment artistically that I'm willing to commit to. Um, but it's my choice. Um, you know, even with something like Big Little Lies, we're doing scenes where I'm in those scenes and I'm actually physically getting hurt, being bruised, getting really hurt. Um, but I know what I, I'm in it doing it because I feel that doing that will, will somehow make the scene better and I know what I'm doing, does, if that makes sense. So... Um, it's a very, very strange, strange thing being a very committed artist and always finding what your boundaries are and how far you're willing to go and then coming back and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to go off the rails at times. But, um, you know, I don't have all the answers for that. I know, and I'm, at times I've gone too far and I've rebalanced myself. So it's always a journey, you know, artistically. Did I answer that question? <laughs> if you can, sorry, if you can <clears throat> really right back up the back there. Am I choosing or are you? No, you are. <laughs> well, you can, you can no, choose. No, because I just, was, I was like, yes, you. <laughs> Who is there? Right up there. Thanks very much. It's been very interesting to hear you talk about some of your films and stuff tonight. But if I could just ask a question <laughs> about... Um, you know, your work as an actress mm. in terms yeah. of the craft. Um, some of the shoots you work on are obviously extend over quite a long period of time. Mm. And on different films, you'll have different lengths of rehearsal period. But in terms mm. of developing your character, mm. I would imagine that as time goes on during the shooting process, and sometimes you're shooting out of sequence, mm. your, idea of Usually, what the like, sure, mm. your idea of what the character is might evolve. But yet there has to be a certain consistency from the start of the picture, the audience, to the end. So how do you negotiate that? Um... It is so hard. It really is. <laughs> I mean, you know, the wonderful thing about being on stage is you control it from beginning to end. You do not have that luxury um, in film or in TV. You have, and I always say an actor can't be a control freak because we don't have control. 
Um, and so a lot of it is um, trust. And I, I really have an enormous amount of trust. Um, it's why I probably attach so strongly to the director because um, there's a huge amount of trust in that. And there'll be times when I say the, to the director, are you sure this is gonna, and they're like, we're in this together, I've got it, you know? And, and a lot of times you'll look back and you'll think, oh, I wish if only I could have gone back and redone that and redone that. But that's, uh, that's art anyway. Every time you look at it, you could, would redo it, you would do it differently. I mean, they're captured moments. And part of it is just having to let it go. So it's this weird, massive amount of preparation and, and then it's complete trust. Yeah. Do you like to watch <clears throat> the rushes or do you just go for I never for watch rushes and I never watch... Um, they have a thing on the set called playback where you can go and watch playback. I never watch it. Thank you very much. I still don't even understand lenses properly. <laughs> and I've done that purposely so that I don't become too aware. Um, I have no idea which is my best side. People will go, you'll sit down on for an interview, sometimes they'll go, oh, do, you, do you have a side you prefer? I'm like, no, um, doesn't matter. Um, so I really try to um, not have that, um, I suppose, you know, that eye on myself, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Thanks so After much. all these years in the industry, they'll say, oh, we're using a long lens. I'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's working out pretty well so far. Is Ignorance is say. bliss. It's working out pretty well. <laughs> thank you for your questions. But Nicole Kimmel, most of all, thank you for your life and pictures. Thank you. Thank you so much.